Wow, is that a blessing? Praise the Lord. It's a little known fact that I sing just like that. It's not known because it's just a dream of mine. <laughs> wow, what a blessing. Thank you so much. And what tremendous uh, ministry we're enjoying here. Um, I was able to uh, catch uh, some of John Juneman's messages, and he'll be preaching tonight at 7.30, and I uh, uh, caught the fact that uh, he is uh, preaching on John 17. I brought some messages on John 17. Those are now in the waste bin, and we are... Uh, I brought some messages on Ephesians and sat through Dr. Cockrell's study, and now those are going to have to be discarded for a less informed audience. <laughs> I tell you, just rich, rich stuff. So in light of John 17 being out and Ephesians being out, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 19, <laughs> actually chapter 18, beginning with verse 24. And aren't we blessed with a beautiful, it may be a little cloud cover, but this is so comfortable and enjoyable. God is blessing us. And uh, the gentle rain this morning, I don't know how much you like rain. Maybe you've had too much of it here, but California, you go months without rain. And I kind of appreciate seeing all these green hills and fields and trees. And uh, that rain is just blessing to me. Take uh, your Bible. Let's stand together. Let's read uh, the Word of God together. Acts 18, beginning with verse 24, and I'm reading beginning with verse 24 to give you just a little bit of background. The central text is in the first seven verses of chapter 19, but of course you know these chapter divisions are not a part of the original text, and so sometimes they help and sometimes uh, they separate us from things that help us understand the text. So we'll just put these two together. It says uh, in Acts 18:24. meanwhile... A Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man and with a thorough knowledge of Scripture. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. While Apollos was at Corinth, which is the principal city in Achaia, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no. We've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues or other languages and prophesied, and there were about 12 men in all. And just so you don't miss it, Paul was in Ephesus and went to Corinth. 
Apollos leaves where he was in Corinth and now comes, uh, pardon me, Paul was in Corinth and comes to Ephesus. Apollos was in Ephesus and goes to Corinth, and they switch places, and the Apostle Paul is now ministering in this place where Apollos has just been. Father, thank you so much for your word. Help us now to hear it with uh, clarity. Help me to proclaim it as only you can enable a person to with anointing and wisdom and power. Lord, we're uninterested in a seminar or the thoughts of a human being. We really want to hear from you this morning. And so I pray you'd help me to proclaim the Word of God and somehow in this mystery called preaching that you would take what is said and that you would make it a message from your heart to ours and you'd give us ears to hear. We pray this knowing that if any good results, it'll be because you did it. And we'll be careful to give you all the praise for it's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. You may be seated. What an incredible admission. We didn't even know. <laughs> Say what? <laughs> we didn't even know there is a Holy Spirit. Paul said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? They said, well, no. Holy Spirit? We didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. I know quite a bit about some things. I know next to nothing about others. I, I'm relatively informed about the Bible, theology, American history, politics, pastoral ministry. These are subjects I understand and enjoy. You, you give me a book with these subjects and I can feast on it, devour it. Don't ever loan me a book like that within that series because I mark all over it. I destroy it. I, I, I could never return it to you in a way that you would ever want to have it again. I index the back pages. I, I, I store the information. It just somehow just appeals to me. It's just kind of the way I'm made. It's just kind of like that yoke. It just, it just that's the way I'm kind of cut and it just kind of fits me. On the other hand, Put me, put me on a construction site with some tools in my hands or under the hood of your car, and we got a big problem. <laughs> in my first pastorate, I hadn't been there very long, and the people were just getting to know me. And I drove across town and went to uh, Kroger to get some groceries. Then I thought it'd be nice to have some McDonald's uh, for lunch, of course, it had to be McDonald's because their Diet Cokes are better than everybody else's Diet Cokes. And so I had their, their uh, food in the car. I had my drinks in the car. I had about uh, $80 to $100 worth of groceries in the car. It was a hot summer day in Springfield, Ohio. I was on one of the busiest streets in town, and the car just quit right in the middle of rush hour traffic. Oh. <sighs> And it's not cranking back up, and I don't know anything about cars. So I didn't know what to do. I, I called, a, I called a, a towing service. I said, I need help. I'm out here on Burnett Road. I need you to come out here and, and get me out of this traffic jam. And so I had to wait on the wrecker. And well, I had McDonald's hamburgers and my McDonald's Diet Cokes in the car, and there's nothing else to do. I might as well just sit there and eat it and drink it. No sense wasting. You should have seen the looks on the faces of people seeing me in the middle of rush hour traffic, eating those hamburgers, stopping all that traffic up, just enjoying my meal. Man, this guy. 
The record comes and uh, looked it over just real quick. They said, well, where do you want us to take it? I said, you better take it to my house because I don't know if, I, I don't know what this is going to be. I don't know how much it's going to cost. Let's just take it over to my house and then I'm going to call uh, one of the guys, some of the guys from the church and have them look at it before I put myself in a situation where this could cost me a bundle. So they did and they dropped it off in front of the house. I called some of the men at the church and they came and... Uh, uh, looked the car over, a couple of guys looking, and they started shaking their heads. They're looking at each other. I think one of them smirked. And then they walked over to me together, and they said, uh, Pastor? I said, yes. I said, what is it? I'm thinking it's got to be the worst. You're out of gas. <laughs> I didn't think about that, obviously. I knew what was going on in their mind. This guy's going to lead us to heaven, but he can't even get across town in his car. Everybody has some areas that they know more about. Everybody has other areas they don't know very much about. You have those areas. I have those areas. You know, when I was uh, doing my uh, doctoral work at Asbury, I was on my way down there in the late 90s, and uh, I was down for some work, and uh, there was a snowstorm that was just one of the worst snowstorms of probably the decade. It was unbelievable, and the cold that was behind it was the most blistering cold that had been in a long time, and I think we had 20, 22 inches of snow that was falling down in southern Ohio and into northern Kentucky, and it absolutely shut down Interstate 75, both in Ohio and in Kentucky, and let me tell you, that's doing something to shut down Interstate 75 because that is such a huge uh, artery, and I was driving down there, and they were shutting that road down just right behind me and putting people in shelters. As it turned out, uh, there were people in shelters for days. People abandoned had to leave their cars on the freeway. In fact, uh, uh, Kentucky was shut down for four days. The Interstate 75 was shut down. But I got down to campus right ahead of all those shutdowns. So I'm watching the news two or three days into this, and the reporters asking the road crew, they're out on the Interstate 75 interviewing the people trying to take care of the cars in the snow, and they said, uh, to the road crew in Kentucky, they said, uh, we don't understand. Uh, Ohio uh, was shut down, but it was open again the next day. Interstate 75 is open all the way to the border of Kentucky. He said, but, but she said, we're, we're three days in. We, we're, we're, we're still not open in Kentucky. What's the problem? And that guy must have had it, I mean, up to here by that point, because he looked into the camera at the TV audience and scowled, he said, because we're idiots. We're all idiots. <laughs> I mean, snow removal in the state of Kentucky is the sun, man. <laughs> I mean, that's really what it is. I can't stand being around people that know everything. If they knew everything, we'd circle around them and sing a song. But we don't do that. That's a part of the definition of what it means to be God. As human beings, if we're humble enough and wise enough, we are humbled by our limited knowledge and understanding. Dr. Nelson Perdue invited me to go with him to have lunch with Dr. Dennis Kenlaw down in Lexington, Kentucky one time. I know the only reason I got to go is because uh, Perdue didn't want to drive in Cincinnati traffic, and I was willing to do it, so I got to go. But it was a rare privilege. He said, you want to go? I said, if fish swim? I mean, yeah, I mean, I want to meet Dr. Kenlaw personally and have a lunch with him. 
And we didn't talk a lot because if you were ever around Dr. Kenlaw when he was alive, the guy, he knew more in this little finger than everybody else knew in their whole body. And it was just, uh, just such a rich time. And I'll never forget some of the things he said, but one of the things that he said was he was now retired from his work, and he said, now that I'm no longer teaching, now that I no longer have the responsibility of administration, now that I'm retired, he said, I'm learning more now than I ever was able to learn during those years. He said, it's unbelievable. He says, the more I learn, the more I realize what I didn't know. He says, it's literally, Paul, an explosion of ignorance. I thought to myself, oh, Lord, help me <laughs> if this is the way it is for Dr. Dennis Kinlaw. You know, there's a big difference in terms that sometimes we use interchangeably, but they're not the same. An idiot, ignorant, or a fool. We sometimes use those as synonyms, but they're not. An idiot can't learn. They don't have the ability to learn. An ignorant person hasn't learned. They haven't had the opportunity to learn. A fool will not learn. A fool chooses not to make themselves available to learn. They lack the humility to be a learner. A person becomes teachable when they become willing to admit what we do not know and willing to do something about it so that we can experience growth and change. And after all, that's why we come to places like this. I sat with Dr. Gary and I learned stuff this morning that I didn't know. And it was food for my soul. To me, you could have him come up here and give two or three hours in the morning and two or three hours in the evening and that'd be all I would need. The sharpest, wisest people are those who combine ability and opportunity with humility and availability to learn. The question for us tonight or today or this morning, the question that I have to ask myself at times is, am I willing to learn? Am I willing to be expanded? Do I need to know more than I do now? And if I do, am I willing to take the time to listen? And the amazing thing that happens in this text is that we find a group of people who were. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? The answer was no. But I think even more significantly, they said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. That is an incredible admission. After all, these people had been under the ministry of Apollos, who was a tremendous preacher and man of God, who showed them the way. The amazing explanation is found in eight, chapter 18 in the initial verses we read. And note what it says about the preacher who is there in that place. And notice that these two sections both combine the same vocabulary and terminology that bridges the two. In verse 24 it says, he was a learned man, smart, sharp, educated, and informed. Verse 24 it says, he had a thorough knowledge of Scripture. 
Verse 25, he was instructed in the way of the Lord. Note disciples, the disciples of Jesus in the response to this teaching are, is used throughout these verses. Great preaching, a great preacher, fervor in his preacher. It says in verse 25, most notably, he taught about Jesus accurately. He was a Christian. He had put his faith in Jesus. He had been baptized. He was on his way to heaven. But in verse 26, it says, Apollos was also still ignorant of some pretty, pretty central and important issues. He knew a lot. He was learned. He was versed in the Bible. He knew the Lord. He was a great preacher. He taught accurately. But he says it there he only knew the baptism of John, which was a baptism of repentance. He knew nothing about the baptism of Jesus, which is a baptism with the Holy Spirit. And so he was ignorant about something that was incredibly important. And as a result of that, his ministry was somewhat flawed. It was effective in many respects, but it was flawed. That is, those who heard his message heard it the way he understood it. And he gave that message as a message about Jesus and a baptism of repentance because that's what he knew, that's what he experienced, and that's what he passed on. So if a group has an inadequate teacher or an inadequate leader, it makes a huge difference. Somebody told me a long time ago that good Bible and good doctrine is very practical. Sometimes we separate practice and all these other things. I thought to myself when I was listening to Dr. Gary this morning, this is the most practical stuff in the world. So Aquila and Priscilla are hearing him preach. I love Aquila and Priscilla. What do they do in response to what they hear? They know more. They've been experienced. They have the Holy Spirit. They, they have had the privilege of experiencing ministry in a fuller sense. They don't attack Apollos. They don't tear down his ministry. They don't undermine him with the people. They don't try to destroy him or defame him. They don't call him names. They don't misuse him. They invite him over for a meal. And they explain to him the way of God more adequately. And in doing that, they showed the Spirit of God was truly within them. So, we get to the place where Apollos is now able to go and be even more effective where he goes uh, back to Corinth. But Paul goes now to Ephesus where Apollos was preaching before he had this insight that was given to him by Quill and Priscilla, and he asked this question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. We believed, we heard the message, it was tremendous. But I am so glad that these people must have had enough of Jesus even at this point that they didn't say, but wait a minute, that's not the way Apollos said it. Wait a minute, our hero, the person we're celebrating, our, our celebrity preacher, the one that we're close to, that's where we heard it first, and we're not going there. No siree, it's a good thing they didn't say, we have enough. Instead, apparently the ministry of the Apollos, even, even before he had the full insight of the Holy Spirit, was authentic enough that they and he both remained teachable. They were not idiots. They were not fools. They had an opportunity to learn. They wanted the fullness of the gospel, and they were honest about it. 
I'm amazed how we are in our, in our culture today. One of the things that troubles me about evangelical culture today is we are celebrity-driven. The bigger the church, the, the bigger the stats, the bigger the name, especially these heroes of ours, then somehow they become the all-in-all, end-all for everything. And when you watch him on television, if he doesn't teach it a certain way, well, my goodness, he's got a television ministry. My goodness, look how fervent he is. Listen, folks, celebrity-driven ministry has a, has a lot of flaws in it. In fact, I have to say that I, I have an idea that I think I could make a lot of money, and if you, if you steal this idea and make a lot of money, I want to cut. I think that the, the evangelical are so enamored with, with celebrity that they could make trading cards about preachers. You know, how much big a church you bid, how much money you raised, how many people got converted. Man, I'll trade you a Joel Osteen for a Benny Hinn. I'll give you a Franklin Graham if you'll just give me a Charles Stanley. Oh my goodness, I've got a Billy Graham. It's the holy grail of, of, of cards. It's the Babe Ruth of evangelicalism. I'll never let go of that one. Let me tell you. Let me tell you, it isn't about that. It's about Jesus it's about the Holy Spirit. It's about the will of God. It's about the scriptures. And I don't care if an angel seems to be full of light and doesn't give the full story. It ain't the full story. And if it's a person who is doing their best and doesn't know, we don't curse them. We don't trash them. We don't destroy them. We simply want more, and we want to go to the Scriptures and to the source of truth. He explained the way of God more adequately and baptized them in the name of Jesus, and it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. This passage illustrates, I think, so clearly that it is possible to be a well-versed Christian believer in Jesus, know your Bible, Christian worker, and even know the weight of God accurately in many respects, and yet still be ignorant of some principle or key area in our life. And folks, we need to be lifelong hungering and thirsting after the truth of God, or we may miss something significant. Notice they didn't need to repent. They didn't need to get saved. They didn't need to believe. What they needed was understanding and the power of the Holy Spirit. And they needed the Holy Spirit, and here's why. The Holy Spirit. I mean, how would you, how would you want to go through it? Knowing what we know, how would you want to go through this life without the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is a comforter. Jesus was teaching his disciples. He said, I'm going to pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter. He'll abide with you forever, and even, he's even the spirit of truth. The world won't receive him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him. He's with you. He's going to be in you. Jesus said, he's a comforter. I'm going. It's going to be a good thing for me to go because when he comes, he's going to be on the inside, and he's going to do everything that I do except that he's going to take what I do for you, and he's going to put it inside of you so that it can be actualized. What Jesus did in time, the Holy Spirit does in our person. The Holy Spirit is a comforter. Literally, the Greek word is paraclete, one who comes alongside a person and renders help. A few years ago, my mom died. They, uh, honestly, I didn't think it had to happen. She had a pacemaker put in and died. 
I don't know how often you hear those kind of uh, reports, but, but it happened, and, I, and uh, she, it didn't seem like it should have happened, and I was in shock. And it was a grief that was just almost, you know, just, you know, you've, you've lost your, some of you, you, you know those kind of losses. I was so alone. I felt so empty. Then I felt this hand reach around my waist. My wife, Sheila, said, Paul, I'm here, and I love you. (laughs) No theologizing, no explanation, no trying to tell me how everything's going to be better after all. No, what I needed right then was the comforting presence of love, and she provided, and some at least some dimensions of this comforter, that's who he comes alongside and counsels us and supports us and stands with us. The Holy Spirit is a comforter. You need the Holy Spirit because he's a teacher. They were not idiots. They were not fools. They were only ignorant. They didn't know what they didn't know. And when they received the Holy Spirit, they received the greatest teacher of them all, the teacher who would take what Jesus taught and put it in their hearts and minds and remind them what he said and help them to do what he did, what he did and to make them uh, uh, responsive to the life of Jesus and able to live it out in this life. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit teaches us to enter into the experiences of the Word of God. He teaches us the truth and the way. He warns us about sin. He convinces us to believe. He illuminates the Scripture. How many of you read the Bible and one day you've read it a thousand times and all of a sudden it's almost like the words leap off the page and the Holy Spirit is saying, this is for you now. This is truth you need to grasp. I want you to pay attention to this truth. Reading my Bible with the Holy Spirit as the interpreter and the teacher makes a huge difference. Nothing is impossible with God, but sometimes when I open the Bible and I read some truth, I pass over it as though, you know, it's just so irrelevant. And then there comes that moment when he teaches. They needed the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul wasn't going to let him go on like, oh, it's a peripheral concern. I mean, after all, they've repented of their sins. They've been baptized. They've joined the church. They're on the way to heaven. What difference does it make what they believe about the Holy Spirit? It makes all the difference. The Holy Spirit is a comforter. He's a teacher. And he is an intercessor. The Bible says there come some times in our lives when we don't even know what to pray. I mean, sometimes things just overwhelm us. I have been in a place, and you've been in places, where we didn't know what the answer was. We didn't know how to articulate a prayer. We didn't know what what the right way to pray was or or even the answer. In fact, recently, not long ago, my daughter just got hired here just this last week at Nationwide Children's Hospital. They were also calling her at Riley Children's Hospital in Indianapolis. It would have been a lot closer for us. She was also applying for jobs out in California. I wanted her as close to me as possible. But you know what I wanted more is I wanted God's will to be done. I didn't know how to pray. I wasn't going to tell the Lord how to orchestrate her life. But on a more serious level, on a more existentially, totally dependent survival level, when your loved one is hanging in the balance, 
and you think about your life without them. I can remember praying, God, I don't even know how to pray. I don't even know what to say. I can't pray. That was my prayer. And the Holy Spirit, who is the teacher and is the comforter and the intercessor, comes alongside and he says, hey, Paul, guess what? You don't know what to pray, but I'm praying for you. I'm interceding with groanings that cannot be uttered. I know the mind of God. I know the will of the Father, and I will take care of it. You just trust me. I'll do the praying. You just abide. Sometimes we just need to know somebody's praying for us and the Holy Spirit interprets and articulates confusion in the submission, submitted heart into a perfect prayer to the Father. They needed the Holy Spirit because he's an enabler. Someone says, I just don't know how I should witness for the Lord in this world in which we live. It is a challenging question. You can uh, study a lot on the books, and I think you should. I think that'd be helpful. But we need to be mindful of uh, pitfalls of thinking that that's what it's about, as if people are machines and people, churches are machines. They're not. I had a friend of mine one time years ago who wouldn't say this now in a less mature state, and I've got things I've said that, you know, are, are just like this. I mean, that's not a knock. I'm just telling you how it is, how we are sometimes. He said, I just got, he said, I got a doctorate in church growth from Fuller Seminary. Paul, he said, my church isn't growing. I have a doctorate in church growth from Fuller Seminary. My church isn't growing. He said, I know I'm doing everything right, but it's not growing. You know what? You can do everything right. <laughs> and this is a spiritual work of God and the Holy Spirit in the end. And you can know, this is not a machine. People are not machines. They, we, we don't organize our way into the kingdom of God. God's kingdom comes as a, as a manifestation of grace and his power and his love and an answer to prayer. The full, how are we going to witness? We're going to witness in the full power of the Holy Spirit. And I don't have all the answers, but let me tell you what happened to me when I moved to San Diego. I went to San Diego, and they, they're very proud in California that California is different than every place else. And uh, people in the Midwest don't know how to witness to people in California. And I don't know, they, there's always, there's probably some insights that they have. I'm not knocking that. But I just want to tell you a little incident that happened. I'm at a Mexican restaurant. They have a lot of those out there in California. And, uh, and the person, I'm interacting with the waiter, and the waiter says to me uh, something, and I said, no. He's, I said, I'm not from here originally. I, uh, I did grow up in, in Riverside, but I said, we moved here from, from Ohio. He said, Ohio? He said, I was born in Ohio. He said, I've got family in Ohio. In fact, all the nice people in California are from Ohio and Indiana. And, uh, and, and, <laughs> and he says, I'm from Ohio. He said, I got family in Ohio. He said, my, my grandfather lives in Ohio. My uncle lives in Ohio. He said, I was born there. He said, wow. He said, well, he said, what? I said, what town? 
He said, Springfield, Ohio. I said, you know what? I said, I know. He said, you want to know where that is? I said, I know exactly where that is. My first pastorate was in Springfield, Ohio. He said, well, you probably wouldn't know my family. I said, what's their names? He said, Tincher. I said, it wouldn't be Harold Tincher, would it? He said, how did you know? That's my grandfather. I'm in San Diego, California. How did you know? Harold Tincher's my grandfather. I said, yeah, I was his pastor. He said, you're kidding. I said, let me tell you a little bit about your grandpa. You love your grandpa. Oh, man, I love my grandpa. He's a great man. I said, let me tell you a little bit about how he is and how he got that way. When I first moved to town, your grandpa, your aunt, your aunt, Mary, said that my dad is in the hospital and his life is in danger. He had a condition that was serious. It's an intensive care. He said, would you go and pray with my dad? He may not receive you. He doesn't like preachers. And a lot of people think he's mean. (laughs) There's hope. (laughs) Why don't you go visit him? I said, I would be glad to. I went, it's amazing how, uh, how an experience, experiences like that soften us up, and I offered a prayer for him, and, and uh, not because I prayed, but just he, pray, you know, we, he recovered, and, and, uh, and when he was well enough, lo and behold, I visited out his house to see how he was doing. He showed up to church. One day I was preaching, and I preached my ever-loving heart out. I mean, I tried to give it my all on Sunday morning, and nobody came forward. And I was feeling a little dejected, but I was at the back door, and I was shaking hands like I always do. And the last man coming out uh, from the church, the last man straggling, was Harold Tincher. And Harold's face was fire red. And his eyes were wet. And I said, Harold, are you Okay. He said, <clears throat> I said, would you like to pray? <clears throat> we went down to the altar of the Maplewood Church of the Nazarene, and he accepted and received life in Jesus Christ and became a brand new creature in Christ and followed through with that commitment for years, eventually became a board member. I said, I was there when the Lord made your grandpa the way you love him. <laughs> How's that for a witness? I don't know what happened to him, but he had a whole new perspective on his grandpa. He said, I didn't know those background facts. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't always happen like that. That's why I gave it as an illustration, because it's amazing. But it, but it, but it, but it illustrates the fact that if God, anybody comes to God, he draws them. If anybody's going to get help, the Holy Spirit's involved. It is not simply somehow that we can mechanically make these things happen. And it's amazing what can happen. And I have to tell you, the Holy Spirit is also a sanctifier. I'm not running away from that at all. The Holy Spirit not only comes alongside, but he infills and he cleanses our nature and he changes who we are and he changes. When we're converted, we're, we're forgiven of all of our sins, but, but when we're fully sanctified, the sinfulness that remains, that sinfulness that is the, 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 the context out of which sins emerge, that part of us is cleansed and slain. It's rendered powerless. Something that happens to it that disables all of that and enables God to have full control. 
Not everybody believes it that way. I understand. But you know, it's possible to be well-versed in the Bible. It's possible to have all things going for you and not have everything that's a part of the scriptural teaching. And I want to tell you, this isn't something that was invented by a particular denomination. I mean, you have to ask yourself, why are we reading over all those terms throughout the scripture, especially in the New Testament? How many times is it talk about where the Spirit and Jesus and Paul, and, and it's, 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 a, it's all a part of what it means to be fully saved. And so, some people don't get it. I have a friend of mine, I'm still friends with him, talked to him the other night. He was pastored in Springfield, Ohio, and he was a part of the church of we're right and you're wrong. And, 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 and when I first met him, it, it, it didn't seem like we would have much of a relationship. I came home and I told my wife, I said, I met this guy, and I want to tell you, he's the most obnoxious guy I think I've met in town so far. He's the preacher of this church over here, and I mean, he wants me to do something with him, but he wants it to be his way. And I told him, I said, man, we're not on the same page on some of the stuff you want to do. One day he saw me in the community. And he's trying to needle me. And he said, well, are you sanctified yet? And I looked him in the face, right in the eye, and I said, I'm eternally, securely sanctified, brother. And then we both broke out in a big grin. <laughs> and we became the best of friends. And once in a while, we would talk about this, but not very often because we really weren't seeing it the same way. And we would talk about it and, 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 and he would kind of come, some of it was some, there were some terminological issues and, and there were some experiential issues. I mean, he was more sympathetic than he led on initially, but, but there was, it was still a difference. But we talked to each other. We got on the, we had lunch together. It was just, he would drop at my pie, I'd drop at his. Great fellowship. One day I dropped off at his church. He didn't know I was coming. I wanted to see if he wanted to go to lunch. I just walked in the building, and he was alone in the office. I walked through the sanctuary and into the office area, and he was on the phone, but he didn't know anybody else was in the building. While he was on the phone, he said, I can't believe it. I'll rip their ears off. I'll destroy them. I'll... And I mean, he was just absolutely unloading the most unbelievable volley I think I'd ever heard from a preacher to somebody. I don't know what the other person did, but it was not pretty. I mean, this was a fireball of disgust expressed on that phone. And I just happened to walk in right about that time. And he looked up, and his eyes met mine. And I said, there is sanctifying power like a sweet refreshing shower waiting for each consecrated heart. Power to cleanse us from all sin, power to keep us pure within, power to keep for service, which he'll imp I'm so glad, I'm so glad. We've had a lot of fun with that. <laughs> he said, you caught me. We're the best of friends. No wonder he was concerned. The sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit, Peter says that we are sanctified through the work of the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, it says that he sanctified, he purified their hearts by faith. It was a work of the Holy Spirit. It was the defining work of what it meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I'm reading. You know who Lloyd Ogilvie is. Lloyd Ogilvie had a worldwide television ministry, mainly mainly U.S., but it, but it went around. It went to Scotland, England, Canada, uh, North America. 
Lloyd Ogilvie wrote numerous books. Some of them are on my shelves. Lloyd Ogilvie is an Ivy League, was an Ivy League trained preacher scholar who could take the scriptures and do things with them that would just be astounding. His abilities for, uh, for explanation were incredible. But Lloyd said in his commentary on the book of Acts, in my ministry I was knew I was going to heaven and I knew I was called and I was having a measure of effectiveness. People were coming to Christ and my church was growing. But I had a problem. I didn't seem to be able to love my people the way Jesus would want me to love them. There was just something blocking me. I mean, I couldn't love them. I mean, I could be erudite. I could give the messages. I could be convincing. I, I, I was able to function in my ministry, and I was able to give a lot of And I believe God used me in some significant ways. But I couldn't love my people. He said, I wondered about it. I prayed about it. And finally, he said, I, I realized there was one missing piece to my education. Nobody had talked much about the Holy Spirit. In all my theological education, it was all about justification by faith. It was all about convert. It was all about other issues and grace. But the Holy Spirit was somehow left out. He said, I entered into a, a prolonged study of the book of Acts and the Holy Spirit. And he said, after studying the book of Acts, and particularly Acts 15, 8, and 9, when he got to that place where that says the, the Holy Spirit, he purified their hearts by faith, he said, I realize that missing piece of my education was the Holy Spirit and that I needed the Holy Spirit in my life and ministry. And I got down on my knees, Presbyterian Princeton scholar, and I asked the Lord to fill me with the Holy Spirit, and He did. He filled me to overflow. He filled me with his love. I was able to love people. He said what I was gaining in ministry to that point exponentially took off after that as I learned what it meant to truly love people in the spirit the way Jesus would have me to love them. He said my life and ministry will never be the same. I don't think he ever changed denominations. He never changed some of his thoughts about some issues we might discuss differently. But the one thing he could not get away from was that he was converted, called, and being used, and talking about Jesus accurately and helping people come to Christ. But he did not know about the Holy Spirit, and this man had enough of Jesus to be humble enough to say, I need to know more about that. And when he learned what he didn't know, he said, Lord Jesus, fill me with the Holy Spirit. I remember when I attended a revival meeting, and the preacher preached, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And I went away from that place and I thought, Whew, that was a great message from God. He can cleanse from all sin. And if we walk in the light, he'll do it. 
Man, I hope the people that needed to hear that heard it. I hope everybody had their ears on. I mean, I hope that benefits all those people that need it. And that Sunday night, I went to camp meeting. And the Holy Spirit said, that message was for you. You need to be cleansed from all sin. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're the one. And in that moment, I had a decision to make. Do I admit my need? Or do I go on just the way I am? And I thought to myself, I don't know if it's true, but I thought to myself, I better respond now. because I don't know if I'll ever feel this close again. I went down to the altar and I prayed, and honestly, I tell you, it felt like nothing happened. Nothing. I thought to myself for a moment, have I just been tricked? Have I been manipulated? Have I just responded to emotion? Is there mind games going on here? And then somebody came alongside and prayed with me and said, do you believe God could sanctify you? I said, yes. Do you want God to sanctify you? I said, yes. Do you know if you're sanctified? I said, no. Do you know if you're saved? I said, yes. You're going to heaven? I said, yes. Are you living in disobedience? Not that I know of. He said, do you believe God could do it if he wanted to? I said, yes. We prayed. I didn't feel nothing. And then when we prayed and it just entered my mind, he wants to do this. He's God. He wants to do this. I want him to do it. He wants to do it. I want him to do it. He's God. I want him to do this. The Bible teaches it. He's God. And he said, as we rose up from our knees, he said, has the Holy Spirit done the work? I didn't feel nothing. But in my mind, I thought that, I thought, by faith, yes, I believe he's sanctifying me now. And when I said, I believe, and rose up from my knees, you won't have this experience, just unique to me. When I rose up, a warm, cleansing wave went from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet to the end of my fingers, and I felt clean. And the voice that I heard in my mind said, Paul, there's nothing between me and you any longer and I'm proud of you I was overwhelmed but then I got up and I looked around and the, 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 there was 2,000 people there but there weren't very many left I'd been there a long time I didn't know how long the devil got right here and he said hey this is the greatest thing that ever happened to you and nobody cares look at all these unspiritual ungodly people who just walked out on this and the voice said, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. What matters is what I think. And I said, Lord, I'm yours. And the wave came down again. And I said, oh, Jesus. We were going to have a watermelon spitting time after the service. 
That's how much confidence I had. We had plans. All the fam- fam- friends were coming over. We were going to spit watermelon seeds. We were going to eat watermelon. We were going to see how far we could spit them. I could not get control of myself. I was just gushing. God had done something for me I couldn't describe. I couldn't even hardly speak. Finally, my friend said, Paul, we better just let you with the Lord. He said, we, we don't want to disrupt this. You just go on and, and we'll go on. I said, that's fine. I got home and I called my mother. I said, Mom, you're not going to know what, you can't believe it. God has sanctified my heart tonight. She said, what? What? I mean, I thought you were sanctified. You know, she, she didn't understand. I called my pastor up down in Texas. I said, you're not going to believe this, but, but I was at the altar tonight and God sanctified my heart. He said, Paul, I've been praying for you. He said, that's so wonderful. Praise the Lord. I couldn't get over it. The next morning I went to work. I saw a professor from college. I said, you're not going to believe this, but last night God sanctified my heart. And he's a great man. He didn't realize the moment. He didn't realize what had happened, but he made a joke out of it. And he said, hey, everybody, Paul got saved last night. I said, oh, no. I was saved. The Holy Spirit came down (laughs) and cleansed my heart and changed me deep on the inside. And I had business to do with different ones. It was a transformation. I want to tell you, this is a great story. It's not really primarily about sanctification, this passage in my view. It's about being teachable. It's about being open. In camp meeting, in preaching, in ministry, are we going to say, yes, Lord, teach me and show me, shine the light on the areas where I need more insight, grace, and help? I pray it's what happens this week for you. Shall we stand together and we'll sing in closing. Let's sing together, Come Holy Spirit, I need you. Come sweet spirit, I pray. Come in your strength and your power. the verse 1 which says this come as a wisdom to children and come as new sight to the blind come Lord as strength to my
Here's your response this morning. If the Holy Spirit says something to you, if Jesus speaks to you this week and wants to shed new light on your path, will you say, Lord Jesus, I'm open. I'm humble. I'm responding. If there's something that ought to be standard equipment for a believer in Jesus, it ought to be humility that says, I don't know everything. I haven't arrived. I want what you want, Lord. Would you just, by, let's sing that come holy. When we sing it, would you just say, by an uplifted hand, I'm open to what the Lord wants to do for me. And I'm going to say yes to how he leads me this week in camp meeting. Come, Holy Spirit, I need you. Father, many of us have been around here for a long time. We've heard the message preached a number of times. But Lord, we want more of you. As much as we've heard it, as much as we know the message well, we want to experience it at deep, heartfelt levels. And so, Lord, don't ever let us become comfortable where we are in relationship with you. Because, Lord, if you're calling us to a deeper experience, if you're calling us to something more, if you're moving us, Lord, to continue, and we know you are, then, Lord, we want to be quick to respond. And so, Lord, have your own way in our lives. Have your own way in our hearts and minds. May there be nothing nothing ever between our soul and our Savior. Lord, as we go from this time of worship, may we go in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and may it be seen to all who meet us in the way we live. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs>